This is E-Retailer Conversations on PBN, the Profitable Business Network. Now the host of E-Retailer Conversations with Principal of Profits Plus Solutions, here's your host, Tom Shea, and co-host, Bill Kendi. And with that, we say good evening to everybody, and welcome to the show. Glad that you can join us. This is E-Retailer Conversation for July 5th. 2017. We're now in our ninth year of having this monthly program. It's a program that comes from Profits Plus Solutions as a, a free service. We enjoy the opportunity of having the readers of our newsletter, the e-retailer, come and participate with us at where we find experts from around North America who are specialists in our area of small business. And these guests are gracious enough to join us for an hour where we pose to them questions that you have sent to us and questions that we have made a point of saying we want to ask this person. Uh, these are people who are very, very talented in their respective fields, and we get a chance to corner them for an hour and say, let's, let's talk about business. So let's explain that um, any retailer conversation tonight, as it is with all programs, is being recorded. It will be on the ProfitsPlus.org website in two formats. It will be available in an MP3 format for those who have your iPods, your iPhones, or Android, similar phone devices. And it's also available with a click and listen link that will be on the ProfitsPlus.org website, hopefully sometime later tonight as we await Bruce Giroux, our information stud, our super geek, to take and massage the raw recording, put it in the appropriate format, and put it up on the website for you to be able to get it. During the course of the evening, we will be watching the email, both uh, my personal email, tomshay at profitsplus.org, and we'll be watching editor at profitsplus.org. For those who are listening and who at a last minute there have got a, ooh, I want to ask your guest this question. So we, and we will also be watching Facebook for those who want to message us and you can do so by going to Profits Plus on Facebook or going to Tom Shea on Facebook. Either way, we should take and be able to get that message and put it in front of our guest. Well, it's usually at this time that we introduce our co-host, Bill Kendi. Unfortunately, Bill is not with us tonight. Um, Bill had a, a bout with cancer and went through uh, quite a, a combination of surgeries, and is now having a restoration uh, surgery that is uh, going to take quite a while for recovery. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, Bill has decided that he wants to leave Michigan and is going to move down to the panhandle of Florida. Uh, and so we're, we're thinking Bill and his true northern sense is going to have to go through a while of um, learning to speak English again so that he can pick up that southern draw and, and drop his, his northern accent. So while we seriously say we wish Bill the best and look forward to him coming back, in the interim, it's a case of our sitting to the sidelines and saying, no, it's just me and a, and a guest, and that's what the program will be for a while. So um, let me tell you about our, our guest tonight. This is a gentleman that I had the opportunity of meeting many years ago. I had heard his name. His name um, wandered around as being one of the great people that you wanted to meet, and his his niche is selling. 
all about selling. Uh, and as I mentioned in the announcement that we sent out today, uh, one of the manufacturers that he worked with uh, referred to him as the dean. And, and that's how I remember first meeting him, was meeting the dean. And not only does he teach selling, and he's written a book on selling, uh, but he has a, a, a staff of people that teach his methodology of, of selling. Uh, and with that, let's, before I give you who he is, let me toss his little piece of music in. It's very appropriate for what we're going to talk about tonight. Okay, so he, he likes this particular song. It was Jackie DeShannon, What the World Needs Now is Love, uh, because our guest wrote a book that's titled Heart and Mind Selling. And our guest tonight and my friend is Sam Allman. Sam, are you there? I am. Thank you, sir. I'm Appreciate you coming to be with being you. here. It's on Facebook, matter of fact. So it, yeah, we, we talked about it the other day. Uh, my remembrance of... Um, you and I attending a, an educational session at a National Speakers Association conference many, many years ago, and, and my simply looking over, and uh, as you were walking into the room and sitting down, as fate would have it, you sat down on the same row that I was on, uh, listened to the session, and when it was over, I remember getting up, and um, our mutual friend, Sam Bracken, was there, and I remember going over to you and saying, are you Sam Allman? Are you the Sam Allman, the dean? And uh, that was the first time I ever got to meet you in person. I think that was New Orleans, in fact. That's, uh, that would have been 2003. Yeah. Uh, that was the uh, year New Orleans was city, and that was the time when I uh, uh, had earned my uh, CSP, Certified Speaking Professional designation. So yes, I do. Yeah. I do remember the New Orleans event uh, very well. And I'm, and considering we're talking New Orleans, I remember New Orleans for all the right reasons. It was <laughs> a, a good time to to celebrate uh, a lot of years of, of work. So Sam, um, let me ask you to take a moment and and tell people, you know, who you are, your background, what you do, and uh, what all about your niche? Okay. Well, my niche has been floor covering. I've been in the floor covering industry most of my life. I started in it with my father, and my goal was to uh, literally get out of it because you know if you work with your dad, you want to get out of it. And so I uh, became uh, a student, and as I as I was a student, I started to sell flooring selling out of my student apartment, and I'd lay it to keep myself in school. And I, My dad told me I was too lazy to be in the floor covering business, that I needed to get an education. So I did. I got a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, spent a couple years on a Ph.D. in microbiology and biochemistry, and uh, then my goal was to become a college professor, and then I found out how much they made. This was in the early 70s, and so I quit school and opened up my own carpet store. And with that, um, I, I realized, you know, that uh, um, 
you know, maybe I didn't need to go to school, but I, I at least wished I'd have finished my degree so I could have called it at least Dr. Almond's Carpets. And anyway, <laughs> so, but here's what I did. I made that fatal assumption, and that fatal assumption was if you can sell carpet or lay carpet, you can run a business. And, and I find, like most of us, that running a business is different than doing the business. But I was really good at doing the business, and I was good at selling. I was good at, you know, interacting with people, and I was good at the relationships, but uh, not nearly as good as, be, you know, being able to run a business. I never had a business class, though today, you know, I consult small businesses sometimes. And, but, um, you know, my real expertise was being able to do the business, which was in sales. Gradually, though, over the course of time, I, I left the business and turned it over to my brother and um, and became a, a salesman for a large carpet mill. And as I was traveling with that carpet mill, I realized that I'd never, never, I was good at selling, but I'd never read a book on selling. And, and I started to become a student of, of sales, and that's when I came to the conclusion that uh, everything is about selling. Even getting your daughter to clean a room is selling. Leadership is about selling. Uh, being a parent is selling. Having a romantic evening with your wife is selling. Everything is selling. And if you master the skills of selling, you can have anything in this world you want. And, and I really believe that. And I, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, I, I jokingly refer to the idea that you go to a doctor, you go to a dentist, and they want to run some kind of test on you or do something. Even that's selling because it's like, wait a minute, you have to, you're going to have to sell me that you want to do what to me? Exactly. And it's like, and, and, you're going to have to do a little work to, to sell yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely. Idea. Well, that's let's, what's really let's interesting. Let's take this into an environment where we are looking at retailing. Uh, we're looking at people in service industries. Let's look at it in, in their spot. And if you could give me the Sam Allman definition that in that realm, what's selling? What is it? Well, selling is helping people get what they want. I mean, it's helping people... Uh, get what they need to, to alleviate either their pain or to gain pleasure. So it's not about taking a product and ramming it, cramming it down someone's throat. It's about finding a need and then uh, helping that customer, you know, finding a need and then finding a product that meets that need. And when you do that, you actually, you know, take the high pressure out of selling, what you're really there is to help people and to help them either with their lives, with their business or whatever, but you're there to help people. And so that's why I had you play the song, What the World Need Now is, is More Love. <laughs> and the reason is, is I, this is what I have found. If you get your heart right, what I mean by that is if you really care about people and you care to serve them and take care of them and help them, if you really get your heart right, then you're going to sell a lot. The heart always trumps skills. Now, I'm not sure I can teach you to get your heart right, but if you get your heart right, then you're going to sell a lot. But if you can combine getting your heart right and then mastering the skills 
that go on along with that, then you're going to become a peak performer. So would you say that a person who is able to sell has a um, altruistic nature about them? No, not necessarily, because there are a lot okay. of people out there that have that have not. But they do not have an altruistic nature. They're there to in it for that's what's in it for them, and we've all purchased from that kind of salesperson. But if we really think about it, how many times have we purchased from them? From them, we've purchased okay. from them one time. Yeah, and um, and and to me, if you're a great salesman. And it's life is too short to find a new customer every day. What's easier is when a customer says, I do, you literally become uh, their salesperson for life. So the goal is, you know, how do I create a customer and how do I keep create them for life so I can sell them again and again and again? And I ask you the same question uh, that I ask a lot of my uh a lot of my students is this question is, how many of you ever purchased from a, a salesperson a second time? Or how many have you had customers buy from you a second time? And everybody raises their hand, and I ask the question then, how big of an issue is price the second time? And the answer is, it's never a big issue. It's because once that trust has been built, once the customer senses that you really care, once the customer senses that you're not going to do anything that would hurt them and that you're only uh, operating in their best interest, then price becomes secondary because they trust. They say, just tell me what I should buy and I'll get it. I come to you because you're the one that will help me. It's the trust issue. So for those of us who own the businesses, again, both product and service, what I hear people say of the big challenge they have is hiring people, and the comment they get from folks is, I don't want to sell. I just don't want to sell. What have you found, Sam, is the, the, the stigmatism, the problem, challenge? What is it that's put the word sell with such a, a bad taste in people's mouth? I'm saying from, not from the customer standpoint, but from the person who is in the business. What is it that gives it such a, a bad taste? Well, the selling model that was used for the last, well, I should say, it's been changing lately, but when I was a kid, the old selling model was always be closing and always be, so it was always a very, um, you know, selfish kind of approach. And, and nobody, nobody, wants to buy from a salesperson they can't trust. And so uh, I've had people say, well, how can you tell when a salesman's lying? Well, his lips are moving. Or, uh, um, <laughs> I've had people come to my class and they'll say, you're in sales and you're teaching me to be a good salesman? I said, yes. And they said, well, gee, I thought you were honest. Does, does uh, being a salesman presuppose that you lie and you, you do anything you can to make, you know, promises to the customer to get the sale. No, no to me, the best salespeople uh, promise less, deliver more, but they they make promises that are real. They create realistic expectations, and uh, and and that's the model. And that's what. And if you'll notice, I don't know if you've seen this. I'm sure you have. That there tend to be more women in in uh, in the sales in sales today, and they tend to be more successful. And it's somehow it's because of the relationship. Women tend to build 
better relationships than men do. And I don't want to get into a gender war saying men can outsell women, but I, I, uh, I do believe that women are doing very well today and they're kind of taking over the man-selling approach because of their more approach to building relationships of trust than just getting someone to buy. So that again speaks to the comment that you've made that it, it all begins up front with the initial thought process as to what is your goal or your objective when you are in a selling situation. Yeah, here's the ironic thing. And this is what just hit me over the head. In 1992, when I went to write my first book on sales, I, I went to the Harvard Business Review. Now, there's thousands of books on sales. How do you write a book that's different, that stands out, that makes, you know, that people will notice? Because everybody will give you all their approaches and their techniques. And, you know, great salesmen are always looking for a competitive edge, how they can close one more sale and so forth. How do you make yours different? So I did some research. And here's what I found is that number one characteristic and the number two characteristic of top performing salespeople are actually opposite of each other. And ironically, <laughs> in order to be good at sales, you've got to have both of them in your quiver. And you've got to have two opposing views in your mind at the same time and still have the ability to function. Also, the number three characteristic and the number four characteristic are also opposite of each other. And this tied to what I'm talking about here, and you'll see when I explain it in a second, but the top four characteristics of peak-performing salespeople are almost bipolar of each other. They're opposite of each other, and they work best when they're used together, when there's friction and conflict between the two. You know, conflict well-managed brings creativity, but uh, conflict not managed creates war, divorce, and everything else. How can you create, you know, use these two opposite principles and and still uh, be able to make the sale at the same time? Let me kind of use a metaphor with this before I tell you what the ex uh, principles are. Uh, I like to use the metaphor of the shower. This morning I got in the shower. And I have two opposites that I have to deal with, right? I have hot water and cold water. Well, I have to finesse the knob and I have to get it just right so I have this nice, warm shower. And then while I'm enjoying the shower, in a minute, my wife comes in and flushes. And what do I have to do? Well, I have to refinesse. I have to refinesse the knob. Do I get it just right? Then the tank fills and i got to refinesse it again. Here's the problem with selling is that most people sell the way they like to buy, and so they usually close people who are most like them. But when there's people different than them, they don't tend to sell them as much. So anyway, that kind of sets up this friction I see between these opposite principles. And I hope I haven't confused here. Well, um, let me do this. Let's take our quick station break, and then let's come back and let's, let's roll, run through uh, an example. Uh, okay. Let me tell everyone that here we are on July 5th, 2017, e-retailer conversation on a Wednesday night. Our guest tonight is Sam Allman. Uh, Sam's company is Allman Consulting and Training. Uh, you can find him online, Allman, and that's spelled A-L-L-M-A-N consulting.com. Uh, you can write to them. 
uh, very simple, info, I-N-F-O, at almondconsulting.com. Uh, and Sam is, uh, as, well, as he told you, he came from the floor covering industry. And it's not just, oh, I came from the floor covering industry. Surely all of us know of uh, Mohawk. I mean, one of the major players in the floor covering industry, Mohawk. Um, I will compliment my friend and tell you that Mohawk thought so highly of him that when you asked about Sam Allman, he is referred to as the dean of Mohawk University. If you, if you worked in the floor covering industry uh, and you went to school with Mohawk, either Sam personally taught you or someone that Sam taught is teaching you, and today uh, still, it still continues. That's, uh, that's the niche of our friend. And uh, right quick, here is our uh, station break at 823. This is E-Retailer Conversations on PBN, the Profitable Business Network. So Sam was given an initial example to us of a shower and adjusting the hot and the cold water. And when someone flushes the toilet, that... All of a sudden, well, we all, we've all been through that before. You hear people that have picked the water doesn't work quite right in the house. You hear the person who's in the shower screaming because all of a sudden the water is uh, extremely hot. Uh, and then after the toilet fills, it takes and it will uh, balance itself back out. can be a painful experience. So, Sam, let me ask you, let's, let's take this into um, – an area of retailing, and as I'm thinking of bringing it into retailing, I know that we've got some people here who are in the industry dealing with sewing machines who are listening to the program tonight because I've had correspondence from them. So let's take a, a sewing machine uh, and think of it along with the fabrics and the notions, the accessories that go with it. Uh, and in the sewing machine industry, you can spend, uh, well, you can get to, easily get five digits left of the decimal point in buying a machine. So if you would take your example of the hot and cold shower and, and bring that over to using our example of the sewing machine and, and explain how it works in that case. Okay. That, that's a great start. So let's ask ourselves, what is the number one characteristic of a per, uh, peak performing salesperson? What is this number one? Well, the number one characteristic is empathy. In order to understand, excuse me, in order to sell someone, you have to first understand them, what they need and what they want, right? Now, and so that's why such an important part of sales is to learn to ask questions, and the more you understand the customer, the more, the better, and then, you know, the better you'll understand what product to present. So empathy is the focus is on the customer. Okay, the opposite of empathy is ego drive. Ego drive is, is selfish. Ego drive is where you want to sell more. So if I'm trying to increase the sale, I, I, I want to sell the customer even something they don't need. Maybe this lady is buying a sewing machine just to do, uh, or I assume it's a lady, okay, she's buying a machine just to do things occasionally in her house. She probably doesn't want a super expensive machine. But your ego drive says I'll make more money if I over if I sell her something really expensive and I can do lots of add-ons and I can 
and I, the more I can increase the sale. So, so what do I do? Well, what's best? Well, if I'm trying to sell someone, uh, I, I've got to make sure I understand what they want, or I'm going to have to. Uh, I'm going to sell them more than they need. So what I'm trying to say is, and let me try and clarify this a little bit, I'm always going to have this conflict between selling the customer exactly what they need or selling them what I, because I need to make money and pay for my car payment, which would be best. Well, the answer is, reason empathy is number one is because I, I look at customer service first, I give to the customer first, but but because I have drive, I'm going to I'm going to close the sale. I'm going to ask for the order, and I'm going to do some of those hard things that salespeople do that have skills. So if you look at again empathy and ego drive, empathy is about the heart. Ego drive is about the skills that will keep you selling, and keep you closing, and keep you trying to overcome objections when the customer objects. So you need actually need both in order to to sell the customer exactly what they need, and uh, because you have to know how to handle objections. And what does the average salesperson do when he has uh, too much empathy? He doesn't close. He doesn't ask for the order. But if um, he's driven a little bit and he wants to make sure he serves the customer properly, he doesn't quit when she objects. He continues the sale. Am I clear there? Oh, question, Sambo. As you're talking about your initial thing with the empathy, uh, does the difference of what the customer wants and what the customer needs, does it enter the, the salesperson's consideration at this point? Absolutely, absolutely. Sometimes what the customer wants is not what they need and vice versa. I mean, I have a lot of customers who don't want to, you know, didn't want to spend that much on the machine, but they'll be unhappy five years from now if they, if we sent them, if we sold them a too cheap of a machine. We learned that in the floor covering business. We found that eighty-something percent of customers who bought flooring two years later wish they'd have bought better flooring. How come? Well, the salesperson didn't listen enough, didn't have enough empathy to see where the customer's coming from. And the only way you acquire empathy is to listen, ask questions, and uh, and and dig deeper into un- and trying to understand what that customer needs and wants, and separating them. Okay. So let's take station break. We're at the bottom of the hour, and Sam, our tradition in our program is is that because we do not do commercials, we. Uh, we pick music to play, some music that has some kind of a relationship to who our guest is. Well, Sam's, uh, when you visit his website, Allman, A-L-L-M-A-N, consulting.com, uh, has a couple of CDs on there that you that I have listened to. Very good. I mean, when you listen to Sam, Sam's not just giving you the go up and talk to your customer say hello. Sam's giving you the science and he's giving you the art behind how you sell. And between that and his book, which is titled Heart and Mind Selling, you're learning these techniques from someone who is truly a master. And let's have our station break here at the bottom of the hour.
something that can't be sung Nothing you can say but you can learn how to play the game It's easy There's nothing you can make that can't be made No one you can save that can't be saved Nothing you can do but you can learn how to be in time It's easy Okay, so the song is Beatles, uh, of which made how many times we get Beatles on here. They have so many songs with so much meaning, uh, and love is all you need, which is the basis of what Sam is is talking to. Uh, so, Sam, I have uh, a question to put before you. I have uh, in here with me tonight one of my uh, my twelve sons, and um, this son, while going to college, has a job working in the floor covering industry of all places. And uh, one of the comments that I have made him as we were sitting at, at home one day, I said, um, what do these names mean to you? Viking Sub-Zero. And his answer was nothing. Neither meant anything to them. And then I believe he asked me at that point, well, should it mean something to me? And my response was, Yes, it should. I said, because if you have a person who enjoys their home, one of the questions that you could ask them would be, what kind of appliances do you have? And if a customer comes in and says that they have Viking or Sub-Zero, as compared to something that they picked up at a Sears or a Home Depot or a Lowe's, then the Viking and the Sub-Zero equipment is indicative of a person who enjoys their home. And I said, this is a, while you're going to ask questions, this is kind of a hint that says, don't go off showing them the cheapest floor covering you got. This is a person who spent some money and enjoys their home. Uh, so what I would like to ask you in teaching the Sam Allman way, does that come into play? Absolutely. I mean, it, Here's here's the whole message. Why, why am I playing love? Because if you really love the customer, you get into the, you get into their mind. You get to understand what they need and what they want, and then you deliver what they what they want rather than what you want because of your drive. Okay, so that's why I say love trumps skills. If you really love your customers, here's what's going to happen: people will sense that you're more interested in taking care of them solving their problems than you are in making the sale. Ironically, though, in the back of your mind, you've got to be wanting to make the sale because you'll never be a peak performer unless you do things that are uncomfortable like close and handle objections and follow up and stay in contact and, you know, figure out ways to get them to come back in the store and visit with them and build relationships with them. Anyway, you've got to have that ego drive. But if you're just focused on helping them, and understanding them, and you understand that they love their home, and they're willing to spend more in their home, then you will take care of that. You'll you'll make sure 
that the product is exactly right for them and you're not there just to make the sale. You're there to make sure that they're happy and that they'll be happy 10 years from now. And that's why I say love masters everything. And let me just, I'm going to throw this in at this moment. Okay. This hit me. You know, my first wife left me a week before my 18th anniversary. And my second wife and I have been married. Uh, when you meet my wife, you'll know I'm a good salesman because I, I think everything is selling. Getting someone to marry you is selling. And you meet my second wife. She moved into my house. She was she was uh, 26 years old. I had five children. She had two children. And so at 26 years old, she was a mother of seven children. And and uh, that's so, a sales job. Now that that's a self, and she's been with me thirty plus years now. So, um, so my point is with this is that in order to um, make sure that she stays, I picked up a book called The Five Love Languages, and and it's a book by Gary Chapman, which I highly recommend. As and I'm reading the book, I'm thinking, whoa, this is nothing but selling, and here's what his premise was. The reason love fails is we instinctively give to our partner what we want, but it may not be what they want. And there are five love languages. There's five different ways to show love. And and as I've studied this, here's what I found. I have, because, of, you know, my wife and I have had um, three of our own, so we have ten children. How many parenting styles do you think I have, Tom? Well, I know how you work it. You guys, you do something to tailor yourself to each individual child. Exactly. So I have I ten parenting styles. Yeah, we have. Ten, I have ten parenting styles. So what is that? So how many customers do you have? How many? How many selling styles should you have? So here's why se- selling fails. We instinctively sell the way we like to buy. If we had empathy, we would sell the way our customer likes to buy. Empathy is the root of compassion. Empathy is the root of caring for the other person. And if the customer feels that you really do understand them, they think that you care, and when they feel that you care, their minds are open, and they'll be open to your influence. The problem is some people can't sense that we care. I mean, I remember one of my daughters used to tell me, You don't understand. Well, I did understand. The problem was I couldn't communicate it. And that's where this is the power of empathy and caring. You put yourself aside and your focus is all on them. Why is it they're buying what they want to buy? What is it that they really need? How can I really help them find that? And when you get the heart right and then combine that with good selling skills, you're going to sell a lot. And, and so ego drive is important because it makes us do uncomfortable things sometimes, like clothes and handle objections and keep selling. person who just cares about, I mean, serving the customer, sometimes the customer, you know, wants to go home and think it over, and the reason they need to think it over is because we haven't clearly found out what they need. we got to keep selling, and that's where ego drive keeps us moving. But our focus should be totally customer-focused totally on the customer. And here's what salespeople need to be aware of. If it's not working what they're doing, then they have to finesse. Sometimes they'll have to 
be a little bit more assertive and 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 be a little pushy if, if it's if it's right for the customer and they feel it's right. Sometimes we need to say to the customer, I don't think this is right for you. I'm not going to sell this to you. Sometimes we need to be honest and straightforward. And, and I mean, we always need to be that way. But most of all, sometimes we need to be a little bit assertive. And some people are afraid to do that because they don't want to drive the customer away. If your heart is right, you're going to sell a lot. But if you master the skills, you're going to sell a lot more. So, Sam, as some people don't misconstrue what you're saying of turning this into just a, a giant love fest, and I, I can understand yeah. the person who's going to come back and say, look, I, I've got to make a sale. Is there a component where you are teaching a person to uh, create that feeling, that obligation to the customer, like, I, I need to make this purchase, I've got to solve something here, as compared to letting them walk out the door with a, let me go home and think about it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what I believe? I believe if if you ever had a customer, now I'm sure everyone out there who's sold sometime has had a customer call you up and apologize for not buying from you. Why are they calling you up and apologizing? Why is it? And this, the reason they're calling up and apologizing is because they feel guilty you have served them, you have given them, you have loved them, and they're going to go buy from someone else because of a price or something, some other reason. And I always tell people, if they feel guilty, you've done your job. How, uh, Dr. Robert Cialdini at Arizona State University wrote a book called The Psychological Weapons of Influence. He says the most powerful law and uh, of of selling the most powerful law of influence is called the law of reciprocity. If you focus on giving to the customer, now remember this, love is the spirit of giving. And so when we give to the customer and we go out of our way to, I, I say, use the five love languages on the customer that Gary Chapman talks about in his book. When you give those things to the customer, when they walk out, they feel loved. What's at the root of our deepest emotional pain? It's, it's the love or the lack of being loved. And when, when we can make a, a, a memorable experience about a one-on-one -on -one interaction with our customer and ourselves, make it so memorable that when the customer walks out and goes, wow, that, you know, they really cared about me, we can make it memorable like that, then people feel obligated to reciprocate, to buy. Have you ever been to a restaurant and the service was so outstanding, the waitress or waiter was so attentive that you felt obligated to give a bigger tip? I believe that's the When it when when you feel obligated, when your customer feels obligated to buy from you, then you have done your job. And I believe the key to obligation is to touch the customer at the point of their deepest emotional pain, which is the love or the lack of love. You know, Mother Teresa says, never allow anyone to come into your presence without them leaving feeling better for ha having been with you. If, you. if your customers can have that kind of experience with you, that will create reciprocity, and that will help you in your selling, and then you combine that with really good selling skills you're going to be a peak performer. 
But what well, comes first is you've got to love the customer first. Um, let me take and uh, fulfill one of our obligations, one of which is uh, we need to take a quick break here, and let me tell folks about what we're going to do for the month of August. Okay. Our guests joining us for next month are two very talented individuals that I'm thrilled that we are finally able to get them on the program. These two people uh, are referred to as the Zen Masters of Retail. And, yes, we have two people, so it's doubling up on the value of next month's program. Pat Johnson and Dick Outcalt are joining us, and their company is Outcalt & Johnson. And from someone who has been around the trade for a long, long time, these are the two that those of us who have been in business look up to and go, these are two of the great minds of management. So, Pat and Dick, you out there with me right now? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. We're blushing a little bit, though. <laughs> but it is true. You two have been around. I mean, I've been around a long time. You've been around longer than I have. But when people look at things to numbers and the analysis of their business, I, I will say it's your name that's going to come up that people say, here's who we want to talk to. Got to call Pat and Dick. And so for our program next month, we're calling the two of you. And let me ask you to give me uh, a little bit. What would you like to talk about next month? Thank you, Tom. What we're going to explain very briefly is that for many years, the two of us working as a team built kind of a doctor's office, if you will, for owners of stores. You know, owners of stores have a very lonely job. And then, oh, 18 years ago, we started putting that intellectual property up on a website, and we named it the Retail Owners Institute. And today, Tom, the Retail Owners Institute is used by over a quarter of a million owners of all kinds of businesses from around the world every year. See, retail is not like other businesses. Retail has inventory, retails, and the inventory soaks up cash, and the inventory is losing value every day. But our expertise that we've put up on this site are the issues that the owners face, like small ones, like survival, <laughs> like the buck stops here, now what? How do I get cash? And they're juggling all of the balls. And what we built on the Retail Owners Institute is a huge library where they can find answers to their questions. Well, let me kind of jump in here, Tom, and you'll find out that that's the way that Dick and I work, of course. Um, just to clarify, the Retail Owners Institute at RetailOwner.com is online only. It's a total self-help site. You know, while our consulting practice might have been called a doctor's office for retailers, it's kind of like the Retail Owners Institute is, is a WebMD for retailers, and that's how people use it. Whenever they have a particular issue, and because our focus is the owner issues, which are the financial issues, not so much the operational parts of retailing, 
the HR parts, we get into some of that, but the key thing is the managing and controlling the financial part of the business, which is what people aren't drawn to when they open up a retail store. So when people go to the Retail Owners Institute, which is retailowner.com, they'll go to the benchmark number. They have 55 different industries, retail industry segments are up there with benchmarks. They also can go for cash flow help. They can also go for profitability help. They can also go for how they cut expenses. They can go for all kinds of reasons that make owners of stores wake up in the middle of the night. And it's all kind of self-help tools, and there, it includes calculators that allow them to do their own financial projections and play what if from anywhere they have. A, as we say, all it takes is a little desire and a web browser, and you can come in and take advantage of this stuff and do it myself, which is what people who are drawn to be owners of businesses that's why they want to do it. They want to do it myself. So Does that help, that's who Tom? we serve. Yeah. That's what we're looking for, and I'm glad that you've told everybody tonight your website because I would encourage everyone to go now and sign up to get on your email list because one of the programs that you want to listen to on a regular basis because I listen to it and I get a lot out of it is Topical Tuesdays. It's a great program that Pat and Dick put together. Get an email, and you want to hide in the office and open up the browser, click on it, and listen to it. Uh, about 45 minutes in length and fascinating information that can, they can help you in the business. And uh, in addition to that, of all these people around the world who listen to their information, we get Pat and Dick alone on the program for an hour next month. So everyone, I want you to be sure to watch your mail. You'll get the invitation to come and join us in the program. You'll also be invited that if you have questions, like what particular number should I be watching, you send us those questions. I'll guarantee that they will be put before Pat and Dick during the program so that you will get your personalized answer to them. And with that being said, to the two of you, Pat and Dick, thank you so much for giving us a few minutes tonight. We're going to really look forward to having you in next month's program. Well, thank you, Tom, for the invitation. We look forward to it also. It's going to be a lot of fun. You bet. Thank you. So that's our guest joining us for the August program. We're back with Sam Allman. Uh, let me remind everybody again, Sam Allman is almanconsulting.com, A-L-L-M-A-N, consulting.com. Sam, who is truly the master of selling skills, uh, you can write Sam Info, I-N-F-O, at almondconsulting.com. And uh, with that, Sam, we've got enough time to let me um, run one more question in front of you. Um, and I guess it's a little hard to put it into a general term, but if you were to create a, um, a strategy, a pattern, a technique, uh, an overall sales strategy, is there a one direction, a pattern that you would tell people to follow? Well, I do believe you need to follow a system. Uh, you know, a fo But here's my main strategy. If it's not working, then you need to change what you're doing. So like, for instance, with having 10 parenting styles, I learned real early that 
uh, it was a major mistake to assume that my children were exactly alike, that I needed to adjust and change with each child because each has different needs. And that's why the number one characteristic of peak performers, peak performing salespeople is empathy. You have to truly understand the other person. See, when, when you're able to view life from the perspective of other people, you get into their minds. And why does that work in selling? The reason it works is because when people feel understood, see, you can say you understand, which I told my children, I understand how you feel. But if they don't feel understood, it doesn't count. And empathy opens the mind. So your approach ought to be so customer-focused, so uh, devoted to finding out what they're really thinking, feeling, needing. And here's where most salespeople fail in almost any sales venues. They don't ask enough questions. The average mattress salesman, I understand, asks one and a half questions. I believe, you, yes. I mean, how can you understand anybody if you ask one and a half questions? So, so your system has to be that you're following in answer to your question, to make sure I understand the customer, and that's all about building rapport because the more the customer feels understood, the more rapport you, that the customer will feel, uh, people buy from people who, uh, who they like, who are like them, who they think are like them, who think like them, who they think think like them, who understand them. And so you've got to make sure... And it develops what, like a camaraderie? Well, it, it, yeah, I mean, that's, it's one of those things. But remember, we're trying to touch the people at the, at the heart. And how do, how do we do that? We touch them at the heart by making them feel that we're not just there to sell them, but not only to become their friend, but to make sure we give them the right product. Now, some customers are going to need more touchy-feely time. And, and other customers are going to need a lot less, and, and it just depends on the customer, and each one's different. And, uh, you you know, um, some customers know exactly what they want. You don't need to have, spend much time asking questions. Other customers, you need to spend more time at it. But it's all about understanding your customer enough so that you adjust your selling style to match their buying style. And, and when they feel safe and understood, they're going to buy from you and come back again and again. So let's take our last station break tonight. We're going to come back, and I've got uh, I'm saving one last question for Sam that I want to put. Before. This is the Profitable Business Network. Speaking of Sam, it's Sam Almond's our guest tonight. Sam's business is Almond Consulting, A L L M A N Consulting dot com. You can write Sam info at almondconsulting.com, and I, I want to make a, a lifting up of a couple of items. Uh, his book, Heart and Mind Selling, uh, subtitled The New Secret to Closing the Sale and Winning the Customer for Life. And as I tell you how many people that Sam has taught how to sell over the years, you want to read this book that comes from the master, and uh, uh, this simply because we don't recommend Amazon for anything. You want to go to Amazon almondconsulting.com to take and uh, order the book. Or if you enjoy le learning by way of CDs, Sam has a pair of CDs up there called Basic Selling that you can uh, listen to Sam's teaching from that standpoint. So that being said, Sam, 
Here's the question. I'm looking for your take on this one. Uh, you're, you're already a second-generation retailer, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Mm -hmm. okay. I'm a fourth-generation retailer, and so I would suspect that you have heard this as I have heard it from my being in business, and my sons have heard it. Sam, is there such a thing as a natural-born salesperson? Yeah, I think there is, but I believe selling is a skill and can be mastered by everyone. Some people naturally are, are charismatic. They're able to connect with people. But I believe every one of us can do it. We just have to understand how people are influenced and how uh, to, uh, to uh, influence them and, and the skills that are involved. But as I said before, you get the heart right, then it's easy to master the skills. Okay, and, and I will agree with you on that one. Um, so I have twin sons, and uh, both of them are in aspects of retailing when they're not in school. And one of them, from a very young age, could just sell. I, it's mistletoe up the corner, diner, <laughs> 14 years old. The people at the diner would let it, he and his brother come up and work, and the brother would, would put in a, a three- or four-hour shift and come home and, you know, they said, oh, well, we're going to pay him $3 an hour. And he'd come home and go, how much money you got? You work four hours? And he goes, oh, I, I got $20. So, oh, well, good for you. How did you get, you know, the extra? Oh, well, I got a tip for this or that. And the other one would come home, and I'd say, okay, so you worked your four hours. How much did you get paid tonight? And you know, one would have had a Friday night, one had a Saturday. And this one would come home and goes, I made $200 tonight. I go, you What? Well, $200. I said, in four hours you made $200? And uh, he says, well, someone up there says, I'm just a natural-born salesperson because I'm your son. And I go, no. See, this, and this is Sam will be, I think, the one place where you and I will have a bit of disagreement. I think where we get people who we classify as natural-born salesmen is that they are individuals at any age who have instinctively learned what you teach. Some people have to be taught what it is that you know. And if a person wants to make a career in, in selling, which is truly an honorable profession, yeah, what Sam teaches is most definitely something you want to go to. And if I'm a natural-born salesperson, as people are going to say, or as my, they say my son is, I would say you go to Sam because you want to learn how to finesse it. You want to understand how things happen. But I think what is actually happening when you get someone who, you know, at 13 years old, comes home with having made $200 in four hours working tables at a restaurant is that they've learned how to look at people and they see what puts a smile on a person's face, what puts the gleam of the brightness in their eyes, and they react to that, and they go, wow, this was neat. This was fun. I made this person's life enjoyable. They had a pleasant experience working with me, and they'll do it again. And then they'll go to another person and say, well, let's see if that technique works on another person or a third or fourth person. And when it doesn't, I expect that person is creative enough that they go, hmm, it didn't work there. 
either I try a different person or I try something different here. But I think what Sam is teaching all of us tonight and what we're hearing starts with something as, as young as a child who's selling a lemonade stand on the side of the street and watching what puts the smile on the customer's face, the gleam in their eyes, what lights them up and going, this is pleasant, this is a great experience. Am I, am I summarizing you okay, Sam? Yeah, I think we can put it in just a few words. Always remember what the customer sign says. The sign says either make my day, make me feel important, or make me feel loved. If you can figure out how to do that with each customer who has different ways of being needed, remember we instinctively give to other people what we want if we can give it what they want and make make their day. You got it. Mm -hmm. And with that, folks, uh, Sam, we, we close our program each month with a, a particular sound and a, that we know all retailers like to have. Before I get into that, let me say, Sam, thank you. You know, I've You're waited welcome. a long time to catch you being in the country. As much as you tour, uh, I've waited a long time to have the opportunity to have an hour with you like this. And I appreciate that you would be so kind to share it with those people who listen to e-retailer conversations. Well, I appreciate all you've done for, um, you know, small business and retailers. Uh, someone needs to give back like you've been given to everyone else. So you're a good, work with you're a good people, role model. We? <laughs> we do. And that, here's the sound. Hey, everybody, thanks for joining us. Come back and join us for the month of August. Remember, almondconsulting.com. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. It's been our pleasure to share fresh ideas and trends from premier small business owners, coaches,